Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team the Rays radio network proudly presents this week in Rays baseball there's a swing and a drive to center by ramos back and it goes ellsbury to the wall it is gone wilson ramos with a two-run home run and with one swing of the bat he's given the Rays the lead Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. And hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest show today from the beautiful Guy Harvey Outpost of Tradewinds Island Resorts on St. Pete Beach, where we have a race watch party going on today. On the show on today's program, you're going to hear from Sergio Romo. He's the oldest player on the race roster. Mark Topkin will join us from Boston. We'll do an overview of the race farm system with one Mitch Lukovich and take a closer look at the bullpen with Coach Stan Borowski, plus much more. Now we start, though, with highlights from the week gone by. Sunday, the Rays were looking to split the opening series against the Red Sox. Brad Miller homered early, but the Rays were unable to hold on despite some strong defense. Torinos comes set, checks the lead of the base runners. They're everywhere. And now gets ready to come home with a 1-2 on its way. Swing and a line drive, base hit in the right field. And this is going to give Boston lead. Bradley Jr. scores. Holt around third, the throw to the plate. And Holt going to be out from here down to Fort Myers. That's not even close. What a play by Carlos Gomez. A strong throw to the plate. And Brock Holt is out by about 30 feet. Round number two, but Boston takes the lead. The Rays made several run-saving plays, but couldn't score again and lost 2-1 to Boston, dropping 3-4 of to the Red Sox with all three losses by one run. Monday, the Rays were to start their first road trip against the Yankees, but it was snowed out. So Tuesday, Tampa Bay tried again and came back from a 4-1 deficit to tie the game in the sixth. However, one miscue in the seventh put New York ahead for good. The 2-0 from Pruitt. Bunt put down. It's a good one. Third base side, Duffy has it. Throws across the first in the dirt, and it gets by. Brad Miller, it goes down the right field line, and it's going to score a run. Austin around third. He will come in and score. To second base goes Brett Gardner. A sacrifice bunt turns into an error, and the Yankees take advantage of it. It's 5-4. to four. The Rays saw New York score seven unanswered runs and lost 11-4 to the Yankees. Wednesday, the Rays wrapped up the two-game series seeking a split. Tampa Bay got a first-inning run to take the lead. However, Ronald Torres, the smallest player on the field, saved a run defensively. Then one of the biggest players hit his first homer at home for the Bronx Bombers. Gardner leads at first. one nothing Rays. The 1-2 Gardner goes. The pitch is swung on and drilled to deep left field. And Giancarlo Stanton 
has turned the booze to cheers with a two run home run. And just like that, the Yankees take a two to one lead. Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, and Gary Sanchez hit two run homers. The Rays dropped both games in New York, this one by a score of 7 2. Now, Thursday, the Rays played in Boston for the Red Sox home opener, and things looked good early on as Yanni Chirino shined in his first Major League start. Again, Chirino's delivers. Swing slow ground ball to the right side. Robertson to his left from second base. Throws to first and five shutout innings today for Yanni Chirinos. And I don't think the Red Sox hit a ball hard all day long. A dominating five innings, and yet he's probably coming out of the game. Chirinos did depart after five innings, fanning four, walking none. And in the eighth, the Rays took the lead. Now Carson Smith ready. Malik Smith goes. There's a swing and a high fly ball to center. It's going to drive Jackie Bradley Jr. back. He's back to the wall, and it's gone. Matt Duffy into the batter's eye seats out there in straightaway center field. It's a two-run home run, and the Rays take a 2-0 lead here at Fenway. However, despite all that went right, Alex Colomay was wrong. He couldn't hold a 2-0 lead in the ninth, and the Rays fell again, this time in 12-3-2 to Boston. Friday, the Rays and Red Sox had a rare weekend off day, which was a good thing because it snowed and rained in Boston. And then yesterday, the Rays looked to Jake Faria to get in the win column and got off to a good start in the top of the first, scoring a pair of runs and a Brad Miller double. But Faria had one of those days on the mound. The 0-2 pitch to Devers. Here's a swing and a looper into right field. That's going to get down, and it's going to score another run, I think. Bogart's around third. He's going to come home. The throw cut off by Brad Miller. It's an RBI single by Rafael Devers. It's 4-2 to Boston here in the first. And it didn't get better from there. Xander Bogarts hit a grand slam in the second inning. Faria gave up eight, went just one and two-thirds in a 10-3 loss to the Boston Red Sox. You are listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Coming up, my sit-down with Sergio Romo. What does the oldest man on the roster think about being that guy? Find out right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball, and our feature guest this week is Sergio Romo. And, Sergio, you certainly are the veteran of this year's kind of different bullpen. Um, I didn't know if you knew this, but opening day, you had a little more than 100 appearances over the other relievers in that pen combined, which is kind of crazy. What does that mean when you hear that? Uh, I mean, uh, to be honest, it just kind of goes like, wow, where'd the time go? You know, uh, but now uh, what a blessing it really is, you know, uh, thinking about it that way. You know, I hadn't thought about it. I mean, I knew I was the older guy, so to speak, uh, in the bullpen, but I hadn't thought about it, you know, numbers-wise, statistically, like even appearances or, or, you know, even amount of games, like whatnot that I've, you know, uh, been a part of or been able to witness. So, I mean, for me, it's just fun, you know, uh, what a ride it's been, you know. I'm glad to keep going, you know, and, uh, you know, on a... On a, you know, joking, jokingly, I'll say I was uh, still, still fooling them, you know, still tricking them. <laughs> you certainly have done more than that, and I know you're joking, but how can you help some of the young guys not only stay but thrive at this level? Uh, I think the one thing that, that, that I tell them most is to, to uh, respect themselves enough to be honest with themselves, to tell themselves the truth. You know, there are times that we may get away with a pitch that, you know, nine out of ten times it's going to, you know, we're going to, you know, there's going to be some damage or we're going to get hurt by it, you know, and uh, and we got, you know, there, you know, that one out of ten times we get them out, you know, we got to be honest with ourselves. It's like, hey, you know, we kind of got away with one of that type of stuff, being honest with our bodies too, you know, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling strong, you know, uh, being able to put the pride to the side and ask for a day when you need a day. Um, but a lot of it is just to be honest, you know, who the, uh, be honest with themselves to find out who they are you know uh 
I've taken the ball for, I've learned throughout, you know, my career that, you know, every time I get the ball and I get on the mound, it's an opportunity to show people who I am. And if I don't respect myself enough to tell the truth, I'm not ever going to know who I am alone. So how am I going to show that to everybody else? So I, I think it's all relative in, the, in those aspects. And uh, uh, it's it just really how to be ready every day, you know, how to, how to want the ball every day. Who showed that to you? Uh, I had some pretty solid uh, uh, veterans uh, in front of me, you know, uh, Jeremy Affel, Javi Lopez. You know, I think Javi Lopez was the, the main one that grabbed me and said, hey, look, this, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is what's really going on. This is how I see you. This is what I see you. I'm like, whoa, like he, he was one of the first guys to be completely honest with me. You know, and uh, him, uh, I mean, we can even go to Bob Howry. He was a veteran that, I, that, that talked to me straightforward. Um, uh, I mean, we. I think those guys, you know, Casilla, Santiago Casilla, who's a little older than I, that, you know, watching him do some things as well. It, it, being around like Jake Peavy, you know, uh, Hudson, you know, those guys, how they've been around for so long, and you know, the way they were able to maintain themselves, it, 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 it's I learned a lot from those guys. Do you hear them when you say some things sometimes to other players, and if so, how? Yeah, uh, most definitely. Uh, there, there are times, you know, where I'll be talking to, to you, know, some, you know, one of the younger guys where I'll be talking to anybody and I'll just be like, I'll, even if it's just a subtle joke, a, one, a simple one-liner, and, and I'll be thinking of, like, say, Javi, because Javi was pretty witty and pretty funny all the time. Uh, you know, Affel was always pretty good, you know, for, for his laughs. You know, he's a silly guy. Uh, but, you know, like, I think of them often just because I do find myself saying some of their one-liners, some of their catchphrases, and, and, and spreading some of the, the, and I will say, knowledge that I got from them, you know, uh, the things I picked up by just watching them, let alone being able to talk to them. So. You had a choice to come back here. Tell me why you did return and why it was important, because I'm sure you got other looks from other clubs and had chances to go elsewhere based on your success. Uh, no, you know, uh, th uh, you know, I'm thankful to God, you know, that, 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 I, that he, you know, he had, you know, other teams be interested in me, but yeah, there was more than one, thankfully, and uh, uh, I'm thankful that they called, you know, I'm thankful that they were interested, but, you know, uh, I kind of joked around with uh, Neander here, and uh, I told him, you know, I told him, well, what took so long, you know, uh, jokingly, just to, it was something that I kind of had already been thinking already from towards the end of last season, you know, I was like, man, I wouldn't mind coming back. I was able to be myself here more. I was able to feel free and, 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 and earn my keep, you know. I, you know, I got a fair opportunity to pitch, and, and I was able to uh, answer the call, you know, thankfully, and, and, and I was ready for that. So uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I'd like to just show them that, you know, some sense of loyalty that I appreciate them taking a shot on me last year. Chaz Rowe told me you've helped him so much so far. What, what do you think of him, and what do you think overall of this bullpen? Because there seems to be a lot of talent, but obviously there's still, a lot of them are a little bit green still. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, like Chaz and I, you know, we're rather similar with our style, you know, our, our pitching style. You know, well, we're both known for a particular pitch. But, you know, he has a little bit more on the velocity side of things, but uh, I think our approach is, you know, rather similar. You know, he he's had opportunities in the past to, to, to show his stuff, and, you know, therefore he's here warranted with the, uh, another opportunity. And... Uh, I think you know he's ready. I think you know the 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 Chaz row that that I met last year and the Chaz row that we have now. I mean he's a much improved. You know he's he's always been quiet, but he seems a little bit more determined. You know a little bit more focused and uh, having conversations with him just literally about who he is. You know uh, how to set up certain pitches. You know you know how to you know little little uh, little ways to refine our craft. You know. Uh, 
I don't throw particularly hard. You know, I'm not in the 95 to 100 range like most of the guys these days. I, you know, but I found my 95 to 100 in a different way. You know, and that's kind of you know all like I said, it's all relative to to being honest with yourself and you know you know what you do well, what you don't do as well. Because I you know let, remind all these guys that let them know that uh, they you know what they have is legit. You know, everybody belongs here. Everybody that's here is earning this opportunity. So I just want to know who I'm playing with. You know, I'm not questioning ability. I just want to question the person. So show me who you are. When you were brought back, you know, I heard from a couple guys, boy, I'm thankful that he's back in our clubhouse. When you hear that, what does that mean? Because I think you can help in a number of ways um, in a clubhouse, having a guy who's been there, done that. Uh, I mean, it makes me feel good. You know, it makes me feel visible. Uh, and that's that's one of the things and, you know, on a personal level, that's one of the things that I've always kind of struggled with in life, you know, is feeling visible, feeling like a, you know, I've accomplished or achieved some things. And so uh, being able to hear, you know, some of these guys tell me that. And when I first got back too, you know, that how happy some of the guys were, the texts that I got, the phone calls that I got, you know, the first time I walked back into the, you know, in the, the, the clubhouse in, in, in spring training, it was at the reception I had, it was, it was very welcome. It was very warm, you know, warm feeling. And, uh, it made me feel good. And so uh, I do feel that, you know, a presence in the clubhouse, if, if it be from a veteran standpoint or from a fun, loose, a kid perspective so to speak you know I remind everybody on a daily basis that you know we're blessed to play a game to pay our bills in a sense you know and uh, as much as we've all sacrificed to get to this point and you know the the work we've all put in uh, it, it's still still remind them that it's, it's a game you know and have fun enjoy it because I mean if everybody if it was easy everybody would do it you know but at the same time it's that unique. Why not enjoy it to the max? And you certainly do. Um, you know, how fortunate do you consider yourself? Because here you are now closing in on 10 full years in the big leagues. And I look at your background. I want you to tell our listeners some of your story about your dad wanted you to go to the Navy. Did I read that right? And you also had an accident, what, on a bike in, in high school, too, where goodness knows you might not have been able to play again. Yeah. No, I was 16 years old. I used to be a max and I used to try to be on the extreme side of things and uh, just one one day it didn't quite make the uh, the little jump that uh, the little dirt jump that we had going on and uh, woke up four days later <laughs> in the hospital and missed my first official plane ride severe concussion all this good stuff and broken collarbone and there went my sophomore season in baseball and uh, I was I was throwing the ball really well that year and it kind of cost me a little bit and uh, Let's just say I graduated high school throwing slower velocity-wise than I did when I was a sophomore. So, uh, But then again, I almost went to the Navy out of high school. My dad went to the Navy. I want to be just like my dad, you know. He's my hero. So I figured, you know, he has a good living. We, we've had everything we've, you know, we've needed, so why not, you know. And I didn't have any scholarships to play baseball. I didn't have any place to play baseball. So it was either the Navy or walk on somewhere in junior college. And uh, I told my dad, you know, uh, I think I can I can make it, and he's like, really, all right. You got two years of junior college. If not, it's Navy, and I was like, all right. And then fast forward, and 35 now, and <laughs> yeah, I'm in the big. I have, have have had a nice run in the big leagues, and and still hopefully more to come. You know, your baseball family obviously means a lot, but it's clear how much your family means to you. You had your dad here for opening weekend, right? You had your kids here for opening weekend. Why is it important to you? And, and tell our fans why it's so important to you. Um, I think at this part of my career, I've 
I kind of, in a sense, feel that I've taken for granted certain things. Uh, didn't share every single thing that's important to me. Maybe realizing that it wasn't as important to me as it is now, or, or maybe as it was then. But now that I see it now, that you know, I want to share it with those that I love the most in this world. You know, and uh, I asked everybody that I wanted, you know, that I love most in this world, to be here and. Those that could make it made it, and those that couldn't, I know they still love me, and I know that they, you know, they know I love them. So, uh, I was that kid that was promising his dad at 11 years old that he was going to retire him, do what he loved to do most. My dad's dreams were to go to college, be a major league baseball player. That's kind of what I've been doing. So, uh, there's there's people that I've done this for outside myself. It's definitely my family. You know, they've. They deserve to be happy. Everybody deserves to be happy. So, and if anything I can do to make my ha my family happy, then uh, I'm I'm all for it. So here we are. <laughs> and, and obviously, things so far so good. Um, tell me what you do, because I know you do a lot of community work too. What's important to you from a charitable standpoint, and why? Uh, well, I think it's it's being out to put yourself out there. It's 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 a way to show people how human you are, you know, and and and, and how much alike. You know, we are from, from everybody else, although we, you know, we are blessed with a, a different life, so to speak, a different lifestyle in a sense. It, it's, it, it doesn't mean that we're different, you know, that we think differently, we, we have different types of feelings, or we see the world differently. So I think putting myself out there to, to help the world, you know, feel like, you know, that it could be a better place, to help it be a better place, to help, you know, charitable communities, you know, uh, 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 like... Uh, associations or, or organizations that that you know boys and girls clubs and stuff like that you know uh, uh, challenger programs that, I, that, you know, that I've tied myself to it's more so tied to my family also because you know my son my six-year-old has cerebral palsy so it, it allows me to relate and go out there and show like replenish my heart in a sense replenish your faith you know because you see that there's other people that are in, in my opinion much stronger than I can ever be so is that what you've learned from your son too most definitely you know i i see what he goes through every day and how it doesn't take away from who he is his personality his his love to, for life and just to have fun and you know be a little wild child you know and uh i i i love his heart i love his passion and i love how he just he just keeps going you know he nothing holds him back so for me it, it's very it's motivating you know it, it like i said it, it it replenishes my faith you know that you know, God is good, you know, regardless of anything that, you know, is presented to you, there's always a positive outcome, so. We look forward to positive outcomes for you and your family and your Rays family during the course of this year. Enjoy a successful 10th season, and uh, we look forward to a great year. Thanks for joining us in this week in Rays baseball. Oh, that's what's up. Uh, still, still mind-blown on the fact that I'm the old guy. Um, but uh, here we are. Uh, I'm thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful for the fans who come out and support us. I'm, I'm thankful for you know, the fact that I get to call myself a Major League Baseball player still, and uh, thankful that my boys are happy. You know, they're good and healthy. So uh, all in all, I appreciate everybody. God bless everybody, and that's what's up. Sergio Romo on This Week in Race Baseball. We continue after this on the Race Baseball Network. This Week in Race Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. Today from the beautiful Guy Harvey Outpost of Tradewinds Island Resorts on St. Pete Beach. Time to check in in Boston with the top beat rider, for the Rays, of course, I'm talking about Mark Topkin from the Tampa Bay Times. And, uh, Topper, have you found a dry and warm place? Because there haven't been many on this road trip. 
They're having Neil. I'm, I'm sure hanging out with you right now. I'm sure you're shirtless on the beach right now and enjoying the uh, sun down there. So that's probably a better visual than what we have here. Um, probably not, but okay. Uh, let's move on to what has been a, a forget a, a moment or, or a, a image uh, most people would Did rather forget. Did I throw forget. you off, Neil? You're struggling a little. No, I was thinking whether, whether an image we'd rather forget versus a week we'd rather forget from a race front. Could this have gone, uh, is this about worst case scenario from your end in terms of starting the season? I mean, obviously, record-wise, it hasn't been good. I, I think, you know, and, and actually talking to a couple of coaches today, uh, in addition to Kevin Cash, you know, I, I think what they are kind of latching on to is the fact that they lost a few one-run games, that they had Thursday's game, you know, they felt mm-hmm. one. And, you know, to see the uh, unusual result of Alex Colome letting a two-run ninth-inning lead get away. So I think that's what they're latching on to, Neil. I, I think the general feeling... Uh, in the Rays clubhouse is that they are not as bad as a 1-7 record would indicate and that the Red Sox and Yankees probably aren't as good as a 7-1 and record against the Rays would indicate. I mean, nobody wanted to quite say that because, you know, they don't want to say anything bad about another team. But I think the reality is they hope there's something in the middle here. I mean, the pitching, it's weird. I mean, the pitching has been good overall, yet it's to me it's been the starters, the established starters – with quotes around them that have let the Rays down more so than the bullpen day starters yep. with quotes around them. And the way those guys have pitched, I mean, the guys in that kind of hybrid role have actually pitched pretty well. If you look at certainly Yanni Chirino, so I think it is going to end up joining the rotation, Yarbrough, Kittredge, Austin Pruitt, even though he didn't make the team initially, Andres, when they let him play, you know, has done okay. So those guys have actually pitched pretty well. It's Archer not going deep enough. It's Snell having the really bad start the other day. And then Jake Freya yesterday just – more or less a total meltdown so that's where the problems pitching wise have been and then you, know, you look at the offense I and actually give uh, Chad Matola credit for for humoring me when I pointed this out to him today but they've played eight games and I said probably you've only had three big hits right and we ticked them off you know Spans hit opening day mm-hmm. Spans hit in New York to tie the game Duffy's two-run homer the other day to give him the lead I mean and he goes well if we played eight games there's only been three big hits that probably answers your question right so you know that's really been a part of the situation and you know, Kevin Cash said today they haven't had enough opportunities to really come through. When they have, they haven't done it. No doubt. I want to get back to your first point on, on the, the true starters. I mean, for the Rays to be able to take off and get, you know, start to move closer to the break-even mark, which is kind of step one here, they really need all three guys, Archer, Snell, Faria, to be good. And I, I think you can make a strong argument in five of their six starts they've been either okay or not good. And they need to really be – Good or, or better than that, probably five out of six times, correct? Right, because exactly as we all would have thought, Andrew Kitchens has been a more effective starter so far than Chris Archer. I mean, you know, it's just kind of weird the way things have unfolded. But those guys have to work. Part, part of this is an equation. There's a lot of math that's going into this pitching plan that they've done and how many innings are get covered by different guys. And, and part of that is premised on specifically Archer, also Snell going six innings or seven innings each time out, and Faria at least going five innings. I mean – and, and, you know, lost in this, and I, I wrote something the other day, and, and I, you know, as much as others have been poking fun and, and you know, kind of ripping on the Rays a little bit for how they set this up, but in their defense, as I wrote the other day in the Tampa Bay Times, I mean, they didn't plan to go with a three-man rotation. This wasn't like, oh, forget four, hold my beer, let's go with three. Mm-hmm. You know, Nate Evaldi getting hurt right before opening day, you know, maybe you could fault them for not having someone else stretched out, ready to be able to go 75, 85 pitches and step right in, but... They didn't really have another four-starter available. I think now we're seeing the emergence, like I said, of Yanni Chirinos, and maybe he gets that start on Wednesday in Chicago and just kind of runs with it if he does well. But 
you know, they, they've kind of had to scramble a little bit, but ultimately it does come back to the innings covered by the established starters is what sets the rest of this pitching plan up to be able to work. No doubt. Um, and really among the bright spots, I mean, you mentioned Yanni Chirinos, and you, you uh, um, I would say, argued – earlier this week about him moving to the rotation and said there's a strong likelihood of that he's probably been in this tough first week the biggest bright spot would you not agree on that yeah i would say for sure i mean he would be you know whether you want to call him the biggest surprise or the the best player that they've had so far for these first uh eight games and just you know the two times he's pitched have both been really effective you know think about what he did the other day to pitch five innings you know it wasn't a full starter situation to do it as uh, efficiently as he did. I mean, 54 pitches for five innings, shutout mm-hmm. innings against the Red Sox, the one team that had faced him. I mean, if it had been, you know, a different team, I think you could easily have kind of written it off a little bit and said, oh, you know, he's going to do well against teams that don't see him the first time. You know, he pitches a little differently, relies on the sinker ball. A lot of teams now don't have that sinker ball guy, so teams aren't used to facing the sinker ball starter. So there were all these reasons, but the fact that it was the same team and that he faced them twice and did well against them a second time, to me that was pretty telling. Now, does that translate? Does that mean he may go out Wednesday and you know facing the White Sox who haven't seen him before and do better or worse? Of course, it's not related, but there was a little bit of, a, I thought, a, a, a valid point to make there in terms of how that worked of facing the same team twice and being successful again. No doubt. Um, in terms of the lineup, I mean, I, I think the one thing that, and you said you talked to Chad, uh, Matola, the race hitting coach. I think the one positive is, look, they really you can't say that anyone has has clicked as of yet. And and most of these guys, their career numbers are way better than they've performed to this point. You got to think that at some point, guys like Kevin Kiermaier, Carlos Gomez, and on and on and on are going to start playing much better than they have. Well, you know, obviously every team you know says that coming out of spring, they expect every player to you know be up to their career numbers or better. Uh, you look around the majors, there's a lot of hitters with low averages right now. The weather's obviously part of that. You know, you do tend to see pitching uh, maybe dominate a little bit the first couple weeks of the season as it is. So there's lots of reasons, you know, you can justify all this. The thing that would be concerning from the Rays' perspective is, you know, they made the decision to go away from the home run hitters who, when they get hot, would tend to hit home runs in bunches and go with these guys that are more a contact-oriented approach to have more of a consistent-style offense. So those guys shouldn't be as, you know, at the mercy of hot and cold streaks, and there shouldn't be as much of an aberration in their performance. So you think a couple of these guys would have started out well. I mean, mm-hmm. Matt Duffy had a good couple of games. He started out well. But Kevin Kiermeyer obviously hasn't done much. Carlos Gomez hasn't done very much. Wilson Ramos hasn't done very much. You know, you just kind of go up and down. Uh, some of the guys that they're really going to be counting on, and, and, you know, again, the small sample skews the averages. A guy can move his average 50 or 60 points with one good game, if, if not more. But they do need to see, I think, more consistency just in terms of putting balls in play, I'd cut agree down there. the strikeouts a little bit, and try to get more going. And, and part of this is they're facing uh, Boston and New York only. You know, I think a real, for me, a telling sign is okay. Whether they're one and eight or two and seven, now they go White Sox, Phillies, Texas Rangers. These are teams they should be much more competitive against, um, and should have a chance to at least, hopefully, at least stay even, if not better than that. Um, to me, that's kind of how I look at this next bunch of games. Well, you know, I could flip that around on you and say, okay, if you knew that the Red Sox and Yankees were the class of the league, which most people acknowledge they were, along with the Astros and Indians. So, yeah, one and seven maybe isn't shocking. I mean, Cash even said today, you know, they're not one and seven, but they're not a seven and one team against those guys either. You know, they're clearly somewhere in the middle. 
But then, you know, you make the case that this next stretch of games should be more telling in a way because then they'll be playing teams more in their weight class and, and more teams that they should be able to measure up with again. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, obviously, to win, to make the playoffs, to be a contender, you have to be able to beat Boston and New York consistently. So if you want to lower your sights a little bit and see how they do now against this stretch, you know, more uh, even-style teams with the White Sox, with the Phillies, with the Rangers – yeah, and then I think, what, they go to Baltimore maybe? You'd see them coming up soon mm-hmm. after that. So teams that they're going to be able to play and maybe be on a little more even footing with. Well, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how today goes. And, Mark, we appreciate your time on this week in race baseball. Hopefully you can avoid the snow in Chicago. All right, Neil, enjoy the pool and the sand and uh, get one of those little drinks with an umbrella for me and uh, Dave and Andy. I will stay out of the water, my friend, Mark. Thank you very much for coming Are on. Are you going to ride the shark? Not, not this week. Maybe sometime in the future. All right. That's Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Before we continue on this week in race baseball, let's pause for station identification. This is the Race Baseball Network. This is 620 WDAE St. Petersburg. It is gone! WPTP HD3 Clearwater and 95.3 FM. Home of the Rays. Neil Solon's with you at the beautiful Guy Harvey Outpost of Trade Winds Island Resorts on St. Pete Beach for a Rays watch party. You heard Mark Topkin from the Tampa Bay Times joining us from Boston. Joining us now to take a look at the Rays minor league system is the director of minor league operations, Mitch Lukovic. Mitch, thanks very much for coming on, and I guess happy opening week to you guys because the minor league affiliate started on Thursday. Yeah, thank you, Neil. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we started Thursday, and 140 games scheduled to go, and we're ready to go. Tell me this, uh, you know, I've asked a lot of people in the organization, I'm kind of curious on your take, because you've been with the race since step one. Is this the deepest the farm system has been up and down, at least with the four full-season clubs, and if not, when's the last time it was this deep? Well, you know, with the 2004 draft, we got really a, a good crop of young players that eventually played in the World Series for us in 2008. But overall, I think this is our deepest and our best with positional players since the outfield group of, uh, you know, Carl Crawford, B.J. Upton, uh, Josh Hamilton, Rocco Baldelli, and Delman Young. But from top to bottom, we have more positional players that one day can play in the big leagues. Uh, we have some pitchers that are in Durham. We have some pitchers that are in uh, Bowling Green that uh, also one day will be competing for us in the big leagues. That You know, and that says something, what you just said there. I'm, I'm kind of curious because obviously the Rays at the major league level are using their pitching staff a little bit differently this year with the starters and the multi-inning guys and the shorter relievers. Are you adapting within the farm system so that some guys get accustomed to perhaps different roles? And if not, give us kind of a walkthrough as, as to the thought process. Well, well a- absolutely, Neil. You know, with AAA, they're so close to the big leagues. Um, we do have five starters, but we do have different roles for different pitchers with different uh, inning groups, sort of say the uh, Castillos and the Stanics, uh, uh, the Cabos are about an inning, inning and a third or two-thirds, no more than two. But, you know, you have the, the Hunter Woods that can be that get go between the gap. They're going to could go three to four innings. So we're adapting somewhat, but yet at the same time, you want a young Jose Mojica to get triple-A innings so mm-hmm. he can get better at his craft. You know, you saw Anthony Evanda the other day. He got to his pitch limit, had a wonderful game. But we're, we're adapting to the major leagues. Um, we don't have bullpen days, sort of say, but uh, we're getting guys geared up for all that stuff so one day they can take that on in the big leagues. 
You brought up Anthony Bonda. Boy, what an impressive debut he had in AAA Durham. Five shutout innings, eight strikeouts. You guys get more data and info. Was he as good as, let's say, the numbers indicated for that first start? That, absolutely. You know, here's a young guy that has a great body type, nice, nice height, good arm action, good backside arm action, and he has a lightning quick arm. When you have that type of skill, you can manipulate the ball the way you want. He has a plus fastball, plus breaking ball. And when that arm flies through the zone, you can get a great changeup. And he has all that and a little more seasoning. And I would think that, uh, you know, if all goes right for Anthony, he'll be in the big leagues at some point this year. And when you talk about that Durham team, again, they won a AAA national championship last year. They've got a lot of kids, at least starting this season, who are on that team. I think most people think of Adamas, Bowers, Arroyo is kind of the core, along with maybe Diego Castillo and Bondes, that group. Is there anyone in your mind that maybe I'm maybe not selling short, but probably need to get a little bit more attention based on um, their talent level and their abilities? I don't think you're selling anybody short, but keep in mind Johnny Fields on that club, and he was the last gut for the, our major league team. Keep in mind Justin Williams, who had a sensational second half with our Montgomery club, came up and helped Durham win that national championship uh, uh, last year for, for the Durham Bulls. So, you know, you, the guys that you mentioned, you can add Johnny in that. You can add Joe McCarthy, mm-hmm. who had a good year in double-A. Now he's playing in, uh, you know, obviously playing left field and maybe a little first base for Durham. And, uh, you know, he's a prospect, and anything can go when you're at that Durham level, you know. No doubt. Let's move down a step to Double A Montgomery. Your your starter to begin was Genesis Cabrera. I've heard great things about the way his velocity has ticked up recently. What's the biggest change you noticed, let's say, in spring training? Maturation. You know, when you get these guys, I wouldn't say for the most part out of foreign countries, but even our high school players, you know, they're 16, 17, 18 years old. I always say, you know, T and Neil, think back when we were that age. And so... Mm-hmm. Now they're taking on professional baseball. It's one heck of a challenge. Cultures are different. Languages are different. Now they're trying to adapt to our United States. We're getting kids to grow up. We have life skills classes for our high school kids and our Latin kids that not only trying to teach them baseball, but how you you cope with life. That's so, so important. And you've got, I mean, I mentioned... um... Uh, Cabrera, but you take a look at some of the other kids that are on that club. I, probably most interesting to me was that you guys started the kid you got in the Jago to Rizzi trade, Jermaine Palacios at Double A. What uh, what led you guys to think that he's capable of handling that? He's still a young kid, obviously at twenty one. Well, young kid, but skill. He has good feet, good arm. He has good hands with the bat. He puts the ball in play. We wanted to give him a challenge at Double A. Play like sixty two games in the Florida State League last year, but he doesn't strike out much, and he's a skillful shortstop, so we thought, let's challenge him. We have Lucius Fox at uh, shortstop with our Stone Crab Club, so now you get both kids playing in the right position, getting at bats every day, trying to move forward, Neil. Since you mentioned uh, Lucius Fox in Charlotte, I wanted to touch on that high A team because uh, I, I think probably the, the thing that I was most excited about it with that club was not only him, but uh, a couple of your outfielders, uh, Jesus Sanchez and, and Josh Lowe. I, I think they were incredibly impressive in their Major League Spring training games they played. Well, 
you can see the type of body type they have. You see the type of skill they have. Both at a young age are a little bit different than norm of the young kids we get. They're a tick to above um, them in maturation, which sets them apart. But, you know, when you talk about those kids and going back to double-A with Brandon Lau being the Florida State League Player of the Year last year, we got Nick Solak in a trade, and you talked about Palacios, and you talked about Jake Cronenworth. Now you mix in some outfielders like like Josh Lowe and Jesus Sanchez and Lucius Fox in the infield. This is where our strength's coming, and that's where the future is bright for the Tampa Bay Rays. But obviously, as an organization, the Rays are always built on, on not only the defense and the skill set of some of the position players, but the pitching. And the group that you have in Bowling Green at your low A level, your, your lowest of the, uh, the Class A affiliates, um, probably stands out more than any. Would that be fair? It's more than fair. Hudson Valley's pitching staff, which basically is our Bowling Green staff this year, is as good a young, fine arms with upside that we had at, at our lower level, Hudson Valley, since I've been with the race, and then it's my 23rd season. So when you look at when you look at Drew Strotman, Austin Franklin, Tobias Myers pitch, you got you got McKay, you got uh, Resley Linares. You know when I, I I know I'm missing someone in there, Neil. Jan Henderson, Salinas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Salinas. Um, they're all they all have high upside. And, and you can really dream about them all pitching in the big leagues. That's that's very, very encouraging. On the McKay front, how tough was it a decision for you guys to go Bowling Green uh, versus Charlotte? Obviously, he pitched extremely well last year, and it looks like at least this opening weekend he's uh, been very patient at the plate uh, in Bowling Green. Well, everybody was involved in the decision, and we just come to the conclusion Better off starting slower than faster. It's easy to put the number three pick in the nation in the Florida State League. That that's like should that be? But it wasn't right for him. And this is uncharted waters for us, where he's going to be pitching. He's playing first base. He's DHing. I don't know anybody else in professional baseball that's doing that. So let's get him acclimated to pro pro baseball. Be easy to say, just move him up. But it wouldn't be fair fair for the player so being a little more conservative early let's get him acclimated to professional baseball first full season in with his peer group that he played with hudson valley to make all the conditions right for him to have success let's see how it goes hopefully we can move him up in the near future that bowling green team that he's starting off with we mentioned the pitching but i'm also encouraged by the two catchers you have there ronaldo hernandez was dynamite in princeton and Zach Laws, a kid who was a center fielder who's switching to catcher, I've heard really good things about both those kids. Why do you like them? Well, Ronaldo Hernandez is a is a terrific bat prospect. He needs to come along with the catching aspect. But that's what you like in a player. He has those intangibles where he's, he's coachable. His attitude's good. His aptitude's good. He has great size. Now, in Zach Law, we convert him from an outfield. He's a 4-1 runner. He's like a Brad Osmond behind the plate learning how to catch but he's one tough kid great attitude great intangibles has skill 4-1 runner a good arm every bit of an average to above average arm and that takes a little time with the conversion neil but you know the way he's playing you know the future looks bright 
And if there's a kid maybe that you think, hey, isn't getting enough attention, we touched on a lot of guys. Who's who's a name that stands out to you, Mitch? Oh, well, I think we touched base on all of them. I mean, you know, we, you always, when you do this, you're always going to forget someone, and I hate to forget someone because mm-hmm. these kids work so hard. I know it's so-called a job. It's their profession. But like all of us who played in Little League, they want to we all inspired to be in the big leagues. It's hard to omit guys, but you mentioned you mentioned the pitchers, you mentioned the catchers. You know, you we're, we're as strong as we've been, but it's hard for me to single out one guy. All right, Mitch. Well, we appreciate a few minutes on this opening weekend. Thanks very much for coming on. I know we'll talk to you plenty in the future. I hope so. Thanks, Neil. You got it. That's Mitch Lukovich, Director of Minor League Operations, coming up on This Week in Rays Baseball. Hear from two longtime Rays employees, and Stan Borowski gives us a closer look at the bullpen right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Neil Solon's going to be back on This Week in Rays Baseball. Time now for our latest feature on 20-year employees in this 20th anniversary season. Hello, my name is Bill Weiner. I am the Vice President of Employee and Community Development for the Tampa Bay Rays. And my first day of work full-time here was in July of 1997. When I first started here, I was in charge of helping people select their seats back when we had our seat deposits for $50 each. So the folks would come into the stadium, and I would walk them around and help them to determine what location and where they wanted to sit for their season tickets. What personally do you feel is your greatest accomplishment as an employee during your time? You know, I think my greatest accomplishment here as an employee has been to work my way up to where I'm at now. I started off in ticketing, and then I moved to to IT and purchasing, and then I moved to risk management, and then human resources, and now with community. So I started off here as a coordinator of purchasing, and now I'm a, a vice president, which I'm very proud of. That's a tremendous accomplishment. Probably have also some pretty funny memories across the way. Do you have a funny or embarrassing story that involves you in your 20 years that sticks out? And if so, what is it? I have a quick one, uh, a funny one and an embarrassing one. On opening day in 1998, one of my sole duties was to get Mr. Ted Williams into the golf cart and bring him out to the mound for first pitch. I was scared to death, but I actually formed a great relationship with Ted on that that little drive that I had with him on the golf cart. And the, the funny thing about it was we almost didn't make it on time because the golf carts were brand new, and I was so nervous to be in his presence and Ted Williams and to bring him out there that I drove with the emergency brake on the whole way from gate four all the way out to center field to bring him in. And he kept saying to me, hey, young man, do you smell smoke? I smell something burning. Is everything okay? And it was actually the emergency brake was on in the golf cart. And that, that's my little fun story about Ted Williams. But he was fabulous to me and very kind. What surprises you about the way the game either has or hasn't changed since you started with the race? What has surprised me is the implementation of all of the analytics. I see how our baseball staff has expanded in numbers, and the stuff they're doing is just beyond my comprehension right now with the analytics in the game. What's been the best part about working for the Rays? The culture here is incredible. It's an employee's first culture. I love the people I work with on a daily basis, and 08 was just a magical year to be a part of, and I'm praying we get back there one day. And that is Bill Weiner in our 20-year anniversary feature, and we can all agree with his last thought and what a terrific story he had about Ted Williams as well. We also can agree that watching a player make his Major League debut is a terrific feeling. Now, when Yanni Chirinos made his first appearance, it meant a lot to him, but also those who signed him out of Venezuela. Let's let Carlos Rodriguez, the race international scouting director, tell Yanni's story. So with Yanni, it was really kind of an interesting story. Um... We've 
I think the first time we saw him, it was June of, uh, of 2012. And one of the benefits that we had in Venezuela is the academy presence, and uh, we have a pretty big staff down there. Uh, and we really went out and tried to prioritize, you know, just really f physical, uh, physical pitchers. And, and uh, our scout, Euclidus Vargas, uh, pulled him out of uh, Zulia uh, area, and he brought him to our academy. And so basically the first time we saw him, uh, our, our now pitching coordinator, uh, Jorge Mancado, was down there, as well as all of our scouts um, and uh, coaches. And so we all had him throw bullpen. And uh, we just remember seeing this real big-bodied, uh, you know, big-frame kid. He's only throwing about 86, 87. But one thing that stood out is he really uh, filled the zone. He had like a really high slot. And um, so what we did was we kept him in the academy for a few days. He was a little bit older, I think 17 or 18 years old, if I recall uh, correctly. And so he was not really uh, heralded by uh, many of the scouts. Um, so it was really a, a fine job by our, our people on the ground uh, uh, uncovering him. And uh, the one thing that stood out from the very, very beginning, his work ethic and determination was unbelievable. And he really won our hearts because he wasn't really, he was, you know, for, you know, for international prospect, he was a little bit older. Um, but his work ethic and his determination was really evident. And so, um, like I said, he really went over our, scout, our scouts. And Ronnie Blanco and Marlon Roche and, and the rest of the, uh, of the group, um, you know, we put him in competitive situations against our guys, and he competed with 86, 87, really competed. And we decided to take a chance on the guy. What's especially gratifying is that he was really a chance player. He was 17 or 18. I think he only got like $10,000. And it was really a, a, a player who went from, I mean, he's never been, I don't know if he's before this year, he's ever made any of the, prospect uh, handbook or, or you know he's been at any of the rankings as top prospect but this is a uh, this is about um, a person who willed himself into a prospect who willed himself into a major league uh, pitcher and who uh, that that just drive has been uh, in him from the very beginning and all the way to the top so seeing somebody work so hard for it uh, and really earn it uh, I think has I mean, it just really is probably one of the proudest uh, things for our, our group. Terrific story from Carlos Rodriguez, head of international scouting for the Rays, about one Yanni Chirinos. And we will tell more of those as homegrown prospects move through the system, especially those who come from the team's academies, either in Venezuela or the Dominican Republic. Now, Yanni Chirinos is part of a unique Rays bullpen that certainly has been reconfigured this year. And I had a chance to sit down with the bullpen coach. Stan Borowski asked him to break down the unique look with a balance of long and short relievers. Uh, yes, it is, and that is absolutely by design. And we just looked for a way to take advantage of the uh, young and upcoming arms that we have. They've been in the starting roles, uh, some of them in the minor leagues, and we're just looking for a way to utilize some of the assets that we have here at the big league level. And uh, this is certainly one way that we have, uh, are going to try to do that. Tell me what you've learned about some of the young kids, the kids that are either in their first season ever in the big leagues. Let's start with those guys, Yanni Chirinos, Ryan Yarbrough. You probably didn't know a ton about them going into spring training. Uh, yeah, I knew very little. I saw them a little bit in, uh, in a couple past spring trainings when they'd come over as fill-in guys, but uh, very impressive. Uh, they go about their work, and I know one thing, they want to pitch in the big leagues, and they are... 
um, very receptive uh, to the different roles that we're going to ask them to pitch in because they would much rather pitch here than anywhere else. Tell me what each of them brings to the table in terms of their stuff uh, and how they'll play off, let's say, some of the other guys you have in their bullpen. Well, starting with Yanni, he throws two fastballs, a four-seam that has excellent carry, and he throws a two-seam that has excellent sink. One of those rare combinations, you don't see that very often. Uh, he also has a split finger that plays really well off of his fastball, and he also has a slider that plays well off of the split. So he can do a lot of different things. He also locates very well. He goes in and out. He goes up and down, uh, changes speeds, and uh, is very... Um, very uh, heady about his approach. He knows what he's doing out there. Ryan Yarbrough doesn't throw very hard. Uh, he's a upper 80s guy with his fastball, but he sinks it. He slides it. He can throw any pitch at any point in the uh, in any point of the at bat. The count doesn't really matter. There's no such thing as a quote unquote fastball count uh, for those guys. So you just never know what you're going to get from him uh, as far as a from a hitter standpoint. Uh, makes it very very tough on the hitter. I want to touch on some of the uh, guys who will give you length additionally, but I also want to touch on a guy we had on the show today, a Sergio Romo. How important is he in terms of having a veteran presence with so many young guys in the pen this year? Now, that is extremely important. They will look to him as to how he goes about his business, how he conducts himself in the bullpen, how he prepares for the game. Uh, they will lean on him as to how he remembers hitters, uh, his, his approach the last time he faced them, uh, his his um, his preparation home, his preparation road, and uh, just how he goes about his overall game. Chaz Rowe already told me in spring training that Sergio was a big influence on him last year, and he really believes it's going to carry over into this year. Do you see that already from Chaz, the way he pitched uh, in spring? Oh, absolutely. Chaz throws sliders. Sergio throws sliders, and they throw a lot of them. And we encourage them to throw a lot of them because they have two of the best in the game. And when you talk about not so much uh, pitch usage, but how Sergio can add and subtract with his slider. Uh, he'll throw a shorter, harder one. He'll throw a bigger, slower one. He throws it to righties, lefties, and how he manipulates it. And Chaz has certainly watched and taken notes and put into practice some of the things that Sergio does. One of the guys who is one of the longer guys in the bullpen is very slider heavy too, and Andrew Kittredge. How are all their sliders different and, and how can they all be effective? Kit is a little bit harder with his slider. Uh, it's more of a uh, downer type pitch than it is uh, east and west, whereas uh, Chaz and Sergio are more east-west. Sergio's is a little bit slower, and he kind of plays slow, slower, slowest off of his. Chaz goes harder, slower. Kit is mostly hard with more of a downer type action. And then you've got, you know, some other different looks. Matt Andres, who's been in the bullpen, who's been in the rotation before, how does he differ from the group that you have, and, and how effective do you think he'll be in this newer role for him? Matt is another one of those guys that you never know what you're going to get in any count. Uh, four seam, two seam, curveball, slider, the, the cut change that we haven't really named yet. We're not sure what it is, but it's a cutter slash change up with sink and a very unique pitch in the game. And... He throws them all for strikes. Uh, he attacks the strike zone with everything that he has. And, um, you know, very similar to Yarbrough, who throws from the left side. Uh, Matt, from the right side, you never know what you're going to get in any count. Uh, very valuable. And then you've got two guys who are more power pitchers in Jose Alvarado, first of all, 
How has he grown up since, you know, he he was a guy who at this time last year was pitching in double A for the first time. He knows his stuff plays in the big leagues. And he is acting more and more like a major league pitcher. He knows he belongs. He's been successful. He wants to succeed here. Uh, his work habits uh, are off the charts. Uh, his breaking ball has developed over the winter. Um, his fastball command is much better than it was when he got here last year. He understands that with his type of stuff, all he has to do is throw it over the plate, and he's going to have success. And then Alex Colome, obviously a steady presence. We talked about Sergio Romo. How much does Alex help kind of settle down that bullpen, knowing that he's at the back end and knowing what he's capable of? For me, Alex sets the tone down there. He has one of the best heartbeats in the game. It doesn't matter... You know, obviously being the closer, he's in a lot of tense situations, but you would never know it watching him, looking at him, talking to him, how he gets ready for the game, how he prepares pregame, uh, his weight room routine. And the other pitchers watch him, and they see how he goes about his business and just his overall calming influence. You can't rattle that guy. I mean, you'd, you'd never, you would never know that the game is on the line when he's out there because uh, his heartbeat never changes, and I say that in a good way. For you, your role is no different than it was last year, but it is in that the bullpen is used differently, that there's an extra pitcher down there. As you start this season, is are there more things that you have to be cognizant of, be aware of? How different do you think it will be for you this year? Well, in the past, it's always been let's be ready for the next three, four, five hitters that are coming up and then a potential pinch hitter in whatever situation might present itself. This year, especially with the longer guys, we have to be prepared to give them a little bit more information because they're going to go out there somewhere between those 5 and 15, 5 and potentially 18 outs. And uh, so the length that they're going to provide, they're going to need a little bit more information than we have provided in the past, uh, knowing that they're only going to get, you know, two, three, four, five hitters. So it might be, I don't know if I would call it mental gymnastics, but it's going to be different from you to make sure you're constantly thinking, communicating, processing that way. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to change how I go about preparing for a game because I, we have all the information that we need. It's just we're going to have to present a little bit more of it knowing that those guys are going to provide some, some more length. And that is Stan Borowski, the Rays pitching coach. Really good breakdown from him on the Rays bullpen. And special thanks to him and all our guests on the program today. Sergio Romo, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, Director of Minor League Operations for the Rays, Mitch Lukovic, Vice President with the Rays, Bill Weiner, and also the Head of International Scouting for Tampa Bay, that being Carlos Rodriguez, for his thoughts on one Yanni Chirinos and his recent Major League debut. Now, if you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me. Do so at Neil Solons or at Rays Radio. That's a little bit easier spelling-wise. Next week's program will include interviews with Denard Span and much more. For my producer in the studio, Steve Carney, and also thanks on site to Steve Versnick. Terrific job from the Guy Harvey Outpost of Trade Winds Island Resorts on St. Pete Beach. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next on the Race Baseball Network.